0: Three, two, one, and we're back, and we've got a really cool topic, and this is something Julie and I have been tossing back and forth for a couple weeks, and I'll tell you where the idea of, it's probably going to be in two or three podcasts, a little mini-series, where this came from, is that sometimes um, you have these limiting beliefs about yourself and your potential and your life and your relationships and finances and health. They go unchecked in your mind for long periods of time to the point where, these thoughts become innate. In other words, because they're unchecked, you actually think subconsciously. Almost, it becomes part of your, you know, your hard, your hardcore, hard-rooted uh, software about what you think about life. And and I was on a uh, call with actually a listener, and the listener was, uh, I think, in their 60s, early 60s, and they were not where they wanted to be. And I'm maybe stringing these thoughts together, sort of randomly, because I have so many calls. But this was the essence of what I remember was they were having these limited beliefs about their potential for financial freedom because of their age. And this person, remember correctly, like I said, early 60s. And as I was talking to them, trying to root out why they believe that they can't create some financial security for themselves, because they're in basically you know, quiet despair about the idea that they would never be able to remove the financial burdens from their back, this person in particular. Of course, this relates to a lot of people, right? And so I was drilling down, and the essence of their belief about why they wouldn't be able to achieve financial a security let alone independence finally be free was because they think they thought that their health was fragile and um which i thought was interesting and so again as a any good coach will do the I, I questioned them about that i asked them i mean it's possible right this person could have fragile health this person could have a lot of you know extraneous health issues and so i i asked them about this particular issue or any issues that they might have and it turned out they had none you know, good blood pressure, good cholesterol. They had, you know, physically active, wasn't a little bit overweight, not much overweight. And, um, so I asked them where those beliefs came from. And then I asked them, had they not had, how long they had those beliefs where they didn't know where they came from. They didn't know how long they had the beliefs. Then I asked them what would have happened? What would happen in their lives if they no longer had those beliefs? Um you know, what would that leave the space in their mind and their um really in their psyches? What would then essentially start to manifest inside their lives if they no longer believed. That they were essentially a, a grenade with a pin pulled as far as their health. What if this person believed that they had, you know, they did have time in their lifetimes to create financial abundance. They did have plenty of life left where they could start achieving whatever they wanted to in life. That type of conversation is what we're going to be doing on the podcast. And so Julie and I, what we're going to do is we're going to present to you a series of questions to ask yourself about your thoughts in general, especially the ones that you suspect might be holding you back. And and you know, it's funny as you go through this exercise, a lot of times the thoughts that are holding you back are the ones that you'll so you'll vehemently defend in other words you'll actually think this is the way it is no matter what just because you've thought that way for a long period of time it's habit yeah it's habit Mm -hmm. yeah really it's exactly It's, it's thought habit it's it's habit, but it's also sort of like a tribal habit too, right? Sure. The people around you think the same way, and they've always thought the same way, and this is how your parents thought, and everyone you grew up thought, and this is just the way it is. Confirmation
1: bias probably has exactly. been going on for and, a while.
0: And then you seek it out online and social networking, sure. and you know, next thing you know, essentially, you're assuming the whole world thinks that um, you know, uh, this is true. And whatever this thought is, it's going to, if you were to remove it from your brain, if you were to stop taking action on this defeating thought, that your life would actually expand in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. Am I explaining this well? Or you are, I being... but
1: what's interesting is that you're so in the habit of it, as am I, as are all coaches, or good coaches, okay, that we're so in the habit of doing this pattern that it just sounded conversational when you did that. You were telling a story Mm -hmm. about this conversation you had with the listener. So what we're going to do today is break down and show them some insight into what you just did there. Mm -hmm. What's the actual pattern? What are the filters? And how can you systematically work through your own uh, psychology.
0: So, if you don't mind, let's do this. Let's do this like uh, in a reverse order in what you pers- in what you wrote it, and then we'll okay. go back to it because I want to get their brains working so they understand that this isn't just pertaining to specifically real estate or normal sure. topics. As right. Sure, as long
1: as you have that path in mind, uh, I, will, so I let, will play
0: along. Let's start out by giving them some yeah. ideas of where sure. this information, how this sort of way of thinking might help mm-hmm. them, and then we can reel it back in and make yeah, it practical. Because cool? it does
1: really apply to virtually everything.
0: And I'm going to actually start on by picking on you because I enjoy it. I knew it.
1: <laughs> I could tell from your ramp up. I was you were leading you up. me down right, a path. Well,
0: well, you read about this in our book, Harris Rules," too. Yeah. All right. So, and you then go ahead tell you not exactly what I'm referring to. Your oh, your you're... phobia about running.
1: Yeah. Well, and so if I look at, at my history of thinking about running, okay, I never liked running in gym class. I was not a track star. I was a music geek. It was not my thing. I hated going to gym. I don't particularly like getting winded, panting, sweaty, fill in the blank, okay? But 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 in addition to that, I also have had allergies my whole life and things like that. So my belief became, I'm terrible at cardio.
0: Well, let me, being married to you for 30 years, right? And trying to get you to actually do cardio for 30 years. And you always did it. You basically would never push yourself because you thought you were going to break.
1: Die, actually. Yeah, but you thought you were (laughs) going to break. You
0: you literally, but this was all subconscious and it wasn't until you worked through it that you realized that it was all fake. You just created this. And it was probably, if we're being honest, reinforced when you were a kid because your family were not athletes and they were very academic and all the rest of it. So, but you yeah. actually believe there was something defective with your knees. You believe there's something defective with your pulmonary system, which in Texas kind of yeah. was true, well, right? Yeah. You believe that you were physically incapable of actually being an athlete when it came to do, doing cardiovascular. Sure. You're right.
1: Certainly, I, it never crossed my mind that I could get good at it. That's for right. sure. So I would say it was rooted in some factual things like allergies, okay? But it had manifested through my thought pattern and my bad thought habits about it into something that wasn't actually real.
0: Well, you had actually made it real because yeah. you would actually start listening and looking yeah. for some sort of you know, physical sure. defects that would basically rationalize the fact that you couldn't do it.
1: Sure, confirmation e- bias, right? Even,
0: even, right, this is what my point is, thank yeah. you. You're playing along well. I'm even even though no, no doctor ever told you there was anything wrong with you, no no no, no one ever told you you couldn't. And, and fast forward till about mm, five yeah, four years ago, mm-hmm. Jillian and I did a twenty three and Me. This is after she basically <laughs> this pushed past. This is the funny part. So at, you know twenty three and Me is the DNA thing. And so, uh, you know, this is after we'd gone to Orange Theory, this is after, Julie, and you can go back to your story. Actually, I I don't want to tell it out of time. So finish how you push through it. don't
1: jump ahead because it won't make as much sense. Yeah. Okay, so part of the issue was I had been on my own with these thoughts and had never really been introspective about it. I didn't actually apply these four questions that we're going to give you guys. Until uh, we decided to sign up for Orange Theory. Well, let me let and, me stop you
0: there. Yeah. Okay, because you were incredibly not only you knew these four questions, mm-hmm. you coached people on these four questions, sure. you'd written about, and, you yeah. know, and co- everything. But
1: I had my own belief y- set up. Yeah. You
0: you were so ingrained into believing that you were have yeah. some sort of physical defect that would prevent you from running. Sure. You were. It was aggress- part of who
1: I who I was.
0: And when I and when yeah. I, as your husband who loves mm-hmm. you, tried to push you past that, you would get mad at
1: me. Yeah, because I, at a certain point when I'm running, I get really uh, winded and I had no mechanism for even understanding that or working through it or any reason in my own head that I could even actually work through it. Until, fortunately, um, at Orange Theory, one of the things that you do is a treadmill, okay? And they're very systematic about it and they're very educational. You know, good coaches actually help you work through your own crap, right? So um, I discovered that when your heart rate is increasing, you're in a certain type of metabolism and you're not going to die. You just have to monitor how long you're going to be there and a whole lot of other stuff that helped me through that. I also learned how to run on a treadmill, which I had never even Or oh, run in general. Run in general. I didn't, I mean, which is funny because as a musician, there's a whole lot of technique to that. It never occurred to me that maybe I was sucking at it because I wasn't doing it right. You know, so I think I worked through a lot with that. And then I had a running partner just as you did there. And then i be. Then it brought out some competitive nature in me. And I and I actually I remember a day where I'm like, you know, I've heard about this runner's high thing. I think maybe I just felt that. Like <laughs> that's a real thing, huh? Okay. So I had that belief that when I have an increased heart rate and when I can't really breathe like I would normally, that that must mean that I I just have you know I can't handle it until I systematically worked on it. And now I actually like being on the treadmill.
0: So you had been for before, you had shield yourself, walled yourself into this, these yeah. series of beliefs, that reinforced the idea that you were some sort of physically, you were physically yeah. defective on unab- your inability to run. that was just who you were. That was what yeah. it was. And you'd resolve that that'd be who you were for the rest of your life. Yeah. Even though you're, I, you know, obviously we, then I, we put you in orange theory. You were in orange theory with me mm-hmm. and we would do orange theory every single day. And I would, you would very rarely run by me because you don't like me coaching yeah. you when we were running. And so then I would basically, you know, I'd. And I did
1: work with the coaches and understood at a much deeper level what I was working on. And they hook you up so you can see you're not actually going to die, you know? Right. I mean, it was a lot uh, further of education of things that I had never considered before. Well,
0: so you're listening to how somebody who is analytical in nature works through her limiting beliefs. She had to do it while she was studying and intellectualize about it. Whereas you, a lot of you, myself included, what I did is I just found the biggest ex Navy SEAL that was in there running consistent six minute miles, even though he was in his mid 50s, and I'd run by that guy and basically try to figure compete out with, what he was doing and try to compete with him. Yeah, and yeah. then he sort of adopted me and basically sure. told me what to well, start doing. well, you had doing.
1: your own way of. Finding that education right. was through observation. And, and, I need, and I I actually read about this in the book. because I And, this and I didn't even
0: pay attention to the numbers. Yeah. I didn't.
1: But an interesting thing happened when uh, the coach, Andy, was running now, given... Okay, she's 15 years younger than me, but she was running at an 11.0 on an 11 incline.
0: Hold on. I'm doing math. She was more than 15 years younger probably. than you. She was, yeah, she's probably more than that. She's, she's like... I said at least... Okay, so I think, I mean, just putting this in perspective, though, for listeners, right? More like, probably more than that.
1: She wasn't less than 20.
0: Dude, she was, you're 50, okay? I know. There's no way that girl is 25.
1: No, she is. She's 27. Okay, all right. Well, but again. Who cares? Pulling teeth. Well,
0: no, but it was good, though, because you you you're seeking advice, and you are comparing yourself to somebody that was very athletic. Yes. and, And she would run like a gazelle.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, and- I guess you would kind of break a sweat, but not really. But my point is that I, it helps to, this was my lack of exposure to somebody that knew how to run right? because I had never pursued it. So when you have lack of exposure, which some of you, many of you suffer from in real estate because you don't actually know somebody very well that has the success that you wish to achieve. It took me seeing Andy running at 11 on an 11 incline where I was like, I didn't know humans could do that.
0: So it's worth mentioning too, you'd been there a lot of other time and seeing other people do it, but yeah. it wasn't until you were receptive to, to learning and seeing and yeah. absorbing. You could have easily attached yourself to somebody else that was able to do it at that level. Yeah. But it, what, so for whatever reason, the dominoes in your head as far as yeah. wanting to accept. I was and, more
1: receptive at that point. Exactly.
0: Yes. And so that's, that's worth, that's a good observation. So right. And point, so,
1: so exposure helps, right? To somebody that does, we talk about that on a lot of different podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so then I believed that I could do it. And through their coaching, I realized that it's an incremental increase. You know, none of this happened. I didn't, like, go to day three Orange Theory and be running like Andy. But I I learned the process, and then I could believe that I would be okay. And then fast forward to not that long ago when we did the 23andMe, which is hilarious to me that I have this crazy um, elite athlete gene yeah, so, it's like one of the rarest yeah.
0: genes that you can have. It's literally elite athlete genes. So not only was Julie not physically defective, she's actually g- genetically inclined to basically be a flipping <laughs> elite athlete, which is Isn't hilarious. That funny because when I looked at my category in Twenty Three Mean, mine was like I'm mostly Irish, so it was like you're predisposed to carry potatoes or something. I don't remember. To be sunburned. <laughs> and- <But laughs> certainly not run <laughs> exactly. I know,
1: but but the point is that the facts in our story here about me, are so different than what I had built up in my head. Right. And so that's where the four questions come in, because you can get in your own mental rut. And I consider myself to have a pretty damn strong mindset for most things, okay? But in this case, I had been subject to my own confirmation bias, my own lack of research, my own lack of uh, exposure to doing it right, and all that's curable on any level you want to apply it to. So
0: it became as the, what I was trying to express to these guys Mm -hmm. is it became part of your belief structure, but literally became part of your software. If you were to write Julie Harris characteristics, you would have written piss poor runner. I mean, a long time ago, you won't do that now. But so it's fascinating though. And that's, and a lot of people go through life with these lingering beliefs about themselves that are complete bullshit.
1: Yes, this is true. And it's
0: like, uh, it's unbelievable. For when you decades start, sometimes. And a lifetimes. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not like, you know, I good have the looking right enough. Background. Right. I don't have like right background. I'm wrong ethnicity. I'm the wrong... Whatever. I mean, there's so many different crazy, interesting things that linger in our minds that hold us back that we don't even, until you you allow yourself to be confronted with your limiting beliefs, and then you go through these four questions that Julie's about to read to you, then you start to actually be able to do a lot of self-work, and then you start feeling liberated because as soon as Julie basically moved past your fear of running, basically... Mm -hmm. Go ahead.
1: Well, then, and I had some structure in place to know what to do about that. And then I, the other interesting thing about this is that I also combined that at some point when I was making progress with my tendency to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And I use that in coaching a lot when we have coaching clients that come from some other field that they were good at. And then they try and make real estate like this crazy wild animal that they don't understand anything about. And when you say to them, why are you making this so different than what you already knew how to be good at, Right. And so for me that was like okay, well I well, know how to compete. I need to I need to make that connection.
0: But here's this, here's the truth to mm-hmm. the question you just asked. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have never really gotten really good at anything. Yes.
1: And so this could be their first thing. Exactly. Right? So they
0: don't see yeah, themselves That's right. As ever having been really good at anything. Yes. So most, I will well, that's say, more of a challenge. respectfully to you listeners, yeah. 90% of you have never been really good at anything. Oh, you might be able to you know convince yourself, but you know, maybe you're a good chess player, but could, are you really a good chess player? Could you actually compete? Could you actually win, you know, in competitions? No. So you're just a good chess player in your mind, mostly. So most of us have never actually really gotten taken the time to do the real work to get really good at anything. And so you don't, you maybe have at this point in your life beliefs about yourself that aren't true about your ability to be really good at anything. You might think that you are just preordained or destined to essentially be a bench warmer your entire life.
1: And fill it in with your own particular excuse for that because everybody's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, like your your person you were talking about that's in their 60s. Maybe they thought that they were too old or they thought their health wasn't good enough. They didn't have enough time. You know, there's a lot of different things you can fill in. But in order to check yourself, there's a specific pattern. And I want to give credit that the person that originally thought this up was called uh, a person named Byron Katie, who said, you know, all the suffering that goes on inside your mind isn't actually reality. It's just a story you torture yourself with. She has a simple, completely replicable system for freeing ourselves of the thoughts that make us suffer. Uh, the quote was all war begins on paper. You write down your stressful thoughts and then you ask yourself the following four questions.
0: And by the way, you'll hear and see, uh, derivatives of this. Yes. Deepak Chopra does it. A lot of other mindset types it do it. Oprah does, but the original source is this and Katie, uh, person. So As I looked it up. All right. So, yeah, we looked it up. We researched yes. it. So guys, write these things down and then we're going to go and um, probably not today, but we're going to start dissecting with facts. So for example, here's what you have to look forward to. A lot of you have uh, misbeliefs about your limitations with regards to, well, I'm, Julie wrote down a long list that I'm reading, but wealth accumulation and uh, your health. And a lot of people think that we're all walking on thin ice and, you know, with regards to, well, I mean, health is a good one. And so a lot of, and we're going to go and we're going to give you some statistics with regards to the, you know, the average age of an average American is going to live to this age. The probability of you getting any of these horrible diseases that you think are lingering around every corner for you are in most cases, virtually nothing. Um, and then all the, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, epi, epi, oh, I epigenetics. Experience. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the types of things you can do to uh, have a physiological, uh, essentially if you are predestined uh, to have a specific, maybe um, your genes will tell you that you have some specific preordained, you know, genetic uh, precollection. The reality of it is, is through
1: epigenetics. You can
0: actually do things to alter the genes um, expressing itself Mm -hmm. in that, uh, in that, uh, you know, that uh, obviously that bad way. So we're going to talk about all that, but let's start out with the four questions.
1: Okay. So question number one is, is whatever you're believing actually true? This question can change your life. Be still, ask yourself if the thought you wrote down is true. In my case, is it actually true that I'm gonna die if I have to run? Hmm, I've actually been believing that. So whatever it is, fill in your blank. And again, we're gonna drill down deeper on future podcasts, but question number one is simple, is it true? Question number two, can you absolutely know it's true? This is actually checking yourself on question number one. Another opportunity to open your mind and go deeper into that unknown, to find the answers that live beneath what you think you already know. So question number two, can you absolutely know it's true? Question number three, how do you react? What happens to your mindset, to your actions, when you actually believe that thought? What happens to you? With this question, you begin to notice internal cause and effect. You can see that when you believe the thought, there's a disturbance that can range from mild discomfort to fear, panic, or even complacency. What do you feel? How do you treat the person or the situation that you've written about in your previous questions? How do you treat yourself when you believe that thought? Make a list and be specific like your, your listener, what happens? Well, there's not a lot of action there. So in this case, Complacency was happening to him, right?
0: So go back and review the questions after you get to question four because you kind of overlapped on two and three, but that's okay. So finish question four. Okay, question
1: number four. Who would you be without that thought? Imagine yourself in the presence of that person or in that situation without believing that thought. How would your life be different if you didn't have the ability to even think that stressful thought? How would you feel? Which do you prefer, life with or without that thought? Which feels kinder, more peaceful, more like your true self?
0: So let's give a a salient example to make this practical. So Mm -hmm. if you believe, for example, that the real estate market is in a bubble and we're all gonna be living in caves and it's gonna be 2007, 2008 again, there's gonna be massive depreciation, houses are gonna go on sale, You know, builders are gonna be doing two for one sales again, that did happen by the way. If you believe that's gonna happen and it's just a breath away, the storm clouds are forming in your mind's eye and it's just right there. What are you not going to do as a result of believing Mm -hmm. those thoughts? Well, I guarantee you're not gonna take any action. you believe that the if you believe that tomorrow is going to be worse than today which is by the way what a lot of people want you to believe because if you believe that tomorrow is going to be worse than today then you basically are very easily uh essentially manipulated by fear so then they're going to then backfill with why all the reasons why tomorrow is going to be worse than today and that then is going to make you ultimately reliant on them you guys understanding what i'm saying and,
1: and you can go search that out and have your confirmation bias exactly in because there's enough people that will say well I mean, it has to be that way because prices went up just like they did in 2005 and six. And well, that's, that's like their whole premise.
0: There was a very... We talked about this earlier know, this year. I get you fired know. up about it because it's such, it's such a on, lie. Such right? crap. So there was a very well done series of doom, doom and gloom videos about the housing market that were circulating around. I got forwarded them many, many times and and none of you guys you guys watched the damn videos and you just thought oh because it's an authoritative voice spouting off bullshit well, that was statistics. Well done. oh mean, yeah definitely yeah. but you guys yeah. thought it was real and so you're forwarding this to me asking me to share this on the podcast comment on julie and i were supposed to mm-hmm. whatever whatever well, what none of you actually did is take take the time to find out the source of the video which i did for you so what i did then is i found out basically who owned the um you know the video was sent from uh, obviously it was on youtube and i did some poking around and i found out where the the source of the video was and then i went to to um, you know, different sources on the internet where you can find out who owns specific URLs. This because is all Because
1: you naturally use question number one and number two without even realizing it. Is it true? Can I, is it absolutely true? Well, let's do a little research.
0: And I did. And I poked around and I found out that the website, are you ready for this listeners? Was <laughs> owned by a big company that basically sells um, prepper uh, stuff, like big, you know, vats of rice and things that you would only buy if you believe that, guess what? Tomorrow was going to be worse than today. And so this prepper organization had built up a very uh, good marketing campaign to scare the crap out of humans into believing that we're all going to be essentially uh, being chased by hordes of cannibals. And and so all of you, many of you believed those videos without actually taking the time to confirm they were true. Now, I bet you there are some people that watched those videos at the beginning of this year, think they're true, then went online and then found a whole bunch of other doomsday, you know, that type of mindset crap, and then they have then not. They are sent essentially checking out or checked out. They are no longer doing the things necessary to make tomorrow better than today. Because they're assuming now from having watched that video and they fed that beast, they fed that negative thought because they're assuming that tomorrow's going to be worse than today. So the best that they could do is possibly is buy some more gas masks and, you know, stockpile some more ammunition.
1: I had actually come up with a new coaching client who said, I only want to work distressed right now.
0: Right. Good luck.
1: I said, that's interesting. Why do you say that? And And they said, because my broker said there's not much conflict to it. I said, well, that's right, because you won't be talking to anybody. You can't have conflict because it's less than 1% of the market. And
0: right? we knew all the market statistics, and we, as we've Fact. done podcasts on it. Fact, right. So we told them what percent, how many actual, you know, it's like 250,000 over the next two years, and most of these will be countrywide. sold. Countrywide. Countrywide, like nothing. The, the distressed market is irrelevant right now. And yeah, so these are the types of things that's fascinating. And so here's a a secondary thought, and this is not part of Julie's notes, but it's fascinating to think about this. And this will really piss some of you off, and it's designed to, so Mm -hmm. get ready, (laughs) right? Brace yourself Uh for impact in some cases, emotional impact. Your beliefs about yourself are, uh, even the negative ones, are benefiting you. And here's an example. And this is another thing you learn from having done, you know, literally a billion coaching calls. It's very frequent that someone will basically come and we always lean into the whole weight thing and and physical fitness because everybody can relate. Right. So you'll have somebody who's like, um, like, here, I'll just, I'll role play this with Julius. If she were a coaching client, it's easier than explaining it. So, Julie, you're going, to be, you're going to be the overweight coaching client, right? Okay. And you're going to be this person that basically has been overweight for a long period of time. And sure. I'm just giving this as an example. This is not a primary topic that Julie and I will do and any of our coaches do because we're business coaches. But let's just say this person in particular had set the goal of losing some weight because they were just fearful of the, you know, obviously negative side effects. Um, so, uh, Julie, mm-hmm. let me ask you, how long have you been overweight?
1: Oh, gosh, probably 20 years.
0: Okay. And uh, I assume this happened progressively a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it kind of snuck up on me.
0: Okay, I'm I'm curious. So you're you're uh, you're 47. Uh, how much did you weigh when you got married? You you, you got married when you were 25.
1: Yeah, I, gosh, uh, probably about maybe 30 pounds lighter than I am now.
0: Okay, so 30 pounds from coaching people for a long period of time usually means something All right. like
1: 35, maybe 40.
0: Okay, there you go. <laughs> right. So um, everyone says 20 or 30 pounds, I but know. it's always more, which is yeah. funny. All right, so um, let me ask you: How do you benefit from being overweight?
1: Benefit. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, I mean you're choosing to. You've chosen for the past twenty years to eat more. You're choosing well, to stay overweight. You're choosing true. to stay.
1: I get to eat what I want.
0: Okay, Julie's bit making it easy, by the way. So uh, you. What else? What are the other benefits you're getting from being overweight? Because um, here's the normal pattern. I'm not getting any benefit from it. It's horrible. Right. It's the worst thing ever. Yeah, they they'll they'll you know they'll play a little bit of uh, you know uh, mental gymnastics. But then you because ultimately what I'm trying to you know essentially make them realize is their behavior, even the most screwed up behavior they could possibly have, and being overweight is pretty common. There are way more screwed up behaviors than sure. that, but they're doing it because they're getting a benefit from it, right? Because the things
1: they don't have to do, right? they don't have to be accountable, right? Right? they don't have to go to the gym, they mm-hmm. don't have to have really form-fitting clothes, Mm-mm. they don't many times have to have relationships that they otherwise would have pursued, they don't have, you know, they don't have to step up to those levels of emotional commitment.
0: And a lot of times people will physically make themselves un- uh, unattractive mm-hmm. because they had gone through some really bad. Maybe it was a breakup or a divorce. Yeah, they're kind or of hiding out in they're it. They're hiding out in it. And it just, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is they, they do all this subconsciously yeah. and it compounds. Mm-hmm. Now that's an example everyone could probably relate to. But really ultimately where these questions go back down to is accepting responsibility, ultimate responsibility for all your decisions and uh, it, no matter how essentially dysfunctional they might be. Now, some it's too personal, right? I'm talking about you mm-hmm. um, now make it some about somebody else. Why would somebody choose to have an addiction to drugs? Why would somebody choose to have financial problems? Why would someone choose, right? The key word is being choice. Why are people choosing to have these types of uh, essentially questionable behaviors? Why are they doing these types of things? And and Julie, I'll wrap in a second because I read your note. So ultimately, this all leans into the fact that you can choose what your outcome is going to be. Now... Again, let's go back to the person in their early 60s who's wanting to accomplish financial freedom, wanting to finally travel to Europe, wanting to buy the house in the lake, wanting to, you know, enjoy life while they can. And, you know, I mean, hopefully they live to a million years old, but, you know, here we go. So the reason that they wouldn't choose to actually change their behavior at this point is because they don't want to make the effort. Yeah. That's why.
1: It's easier not to. Right. Just like believing that you're gonna wake up to a real estate zombie apocalypse means that you don't have to make the effort to, you know, learn how to be a competitive buyer's agent to get them accepted because you believe that you're making them overpay to get the house they want.
0: Or more to our in our wheelhouse, being a listing being agent. Being a listing agent,
1: need. which takes effort. So you don't have to make that effort because you know tomorrow everybody's gonna to want to list with you because they're all gonna need you, because they're all gonna be in foreclosure. You see how that's just a spinning of the toilet. water
0: so here's the here are the four questions and here is your homework i and and julie has already assigned this to you but i want to make sure you're writing this down on a piece of paper don't if you're not doing this if you're not taking this seriously Um, I don't know why. Honestly, it's crazy for you not to take this seriously. Question number one, is it true? No. Okay. So your first thing is write down all the beliefs you have about yourself and Julie and I will brainstorm with you. You're too old. You're too young. You're too, uh, you're too dumb. You're too this, you're too the other thing. You're not smart enough. You're, you have, you're disadvantaged because of you have, you didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks. You don't have, I mean, what other things?
1: Oh, I mean, that's all in the wheelhouse. We can you know, pile I, I was kind of thinking um, you can go the other direction because most of what you said is negative. Sometimes the belief is I'm the best agent in my marketplace. Is it actually true? Well, are you taking 100% of the listings you're going sure. on? you know, you can, you can go either direction. Yeah,
0: you can. So write all these beliefs that you have about yourself, but specifically lean into the stressful thoughts, the things mm-hmm. that give you anxiety, the things that are hiding under the recesses of your brain, that your brain that you don't want to ever admit that you have floating around in your head. I don't care how strong you think your mindset is. And you're walking around with an aura of light. The reality of it is, is there are some, uh, you know, hidden dark beliefs you have about yourself. And again, it could just be your ego blowing you up. That's limiting your, uh, to Julie's point, but most likely most of the beliefs you have about yourself are about you believing that you're not good enough in some capacity. So write all these things down and you don't, you can go through this exercise, but Julie and I are going to help you with it tomorrow as well. So write all the beliefs you have about yourself and then write these four questions down. Question number one, is it true? Right? Question number two, can you absolutely know it's true? Question number three, how do you react? What happens to your mindset, your actions when you believe that thought question number four, who would you be without that thought? So that's your homework assignment. Write down those things. And then Julie and I will coach you through essentially rooting out, identifying, and then dissolving those limiting beliefs about yourself. Because by the way, guys, it's all your limiting beliefs about yourself are pretty much all um, – by choice. You're choosing to hold on to them. Once you confront them and you realize they're not really serving you, never really served you in the first place, then you're going to then have another choice as to whether or not you want to keep them or not. And and that's where you can really have a true epiphany, a real breakthrough. So um, in the meantime, if you guys want to uh, give us any other show ideas or concepts, things you want us to drill down on, please always feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Those of you guys who are ready to join Julian and I's Premier Coaching Program, please text the word success S U C C E S S to 47372, text the word success to 47372. When you do, we're going to text you back a link and you can join, you can learn how you can join our Premier Coaching Program, which is our full suite of uh, coaching. There's no, you know, daily semi-private coaching call, all the scripts, all the presentations, everything you could possibly need for around $100 a month. So go ahead and text the word SUCCESS to 47372 and we'll text you back a link so that you can join uh, our premier coaching program. Don't wait on that, guys. You still have six months left this year. You still can make this your best year ever, but it really is completely and totally up to you. In the meantime, we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching.